when I was on Bay Street working there, it's like I had the this okay, you got get in at 8:30, you leave at 5:30, and the clients are put onto your desk and the work is predefined, right? Then when I left that world, it's like okay, no one's setting my schedule. Now I have to start figuring out what do I do and am I wasting time on things that are not going to make me money? Yeah, right? for sure. And, and that was the biggest transition. That was the biggest uh, sticking point for me in the transition from nine to five over to self-employment. What was yours? Mine, I think, is actually setting limits for myself. So nine, when I would go into my nine to five, I would be there for those hours. I would write my notes, close the door, and leave. And work is behind you for that day or till the next time you're in. I find that with entrepreneurship, there's always just a pile of a large pile of things that you need to do. So I think it's um, being a workaholic, I would call myself, you know, you have to set limits for yourself. And I found that a little bit challenging. That was the biggest difference for me. But I also enjoyed the freedom of being able to work on it when I wanted to or felt like I had the time to. So. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Smart Up with JP and Fab where today we are interviewing Jody Lee of Jody Lee Designs. This is a great episode. She talks a lot about uh, her transition from the healthcare uh, sector or nursing uh, as an employee over to the hospitality industry as a self-employed individual and eventually growing her business um, and adapting to the changes in the hospitality industry. Great interview, great person. Hope you enjoy it. All right. So Jody, tell us about your business. I own Jody Lee Designs. It's a floral company out in Kitchener Waterloo. We mostly service weddings, sometimes some corporate events. Um, yeah, that's what we do. So it, it's tied into hospitality then? Yes, primarily. definitely. Primarily hospitality. When the hospitality industry isn't running such as now, neither are we. Okay. So the the evolution of your business, though, you haven't always been almost. You're you're exclusively floral now, correct? Yeah, exclusively decor, uh, floral, but like t- just touches of decor, candles. Okay. Uh, we'll subcontract to other companies for things like place settings, table settings, um, so that we can be full service. Okay. But our company specifically handles the floral and light decor. Okay, perfect. So, what I want to get out of this is I want to I want to see the evolution of your business from when you started as an entrepreneur what made you decide to become an entrepreneur in the first place mm-hmm. and how you've adapted since then right because that is really the the path of entrepreneurship that people don't really understand unless they've dipped their toe into it into the entrepreneurship pool is that your idea at the beginning and what you end up doing yeah quite often changes definitely right and and it's the people i find at least anecdotally it's the people that are willing to adapt that survive for sure absolutely um first i was a nurse and um we got married i really enjoyed that being creative and i always wanted to have a side hustle to try and generate more income for our family so um i decided to start a wedding business when did you when did you decide that I think I remember. I think it was between my wedding and yours. <laughs> so you, so it was when you were designing. You were you planned your own wedding then. I did. Yeah. I so that was and the, did the everything. start of this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And when I started, I didn't really know what aspect of the wedding industry I would do. Whether it would be planning, decor, um, and to be honest, I certainly never thought it would be floral. I had no knowledge of floral whatsoever. So. I started off doing a few planning events and doing like some general decor. Um, for the first year, I was probably just blogging, just trying to get uh, my name out there and get familiar with the industry, taking courses. Um, and then a friend encouraged me to do a bridal show. Very nervous, wasn't really feeling prepared, but I put together a, a booth. And from that bridal show, we booked 20 weddings. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was that was the start of it. Um, several of those weddings were for a company called Pearl Hospitality. Mm-hmm. They're pretty significant in the wedding industry. Um, through doing those weddings, the owner reached out and said, hey, you're doing some really nice work here. Would you like to be on our preferred vendor list? Again, feeling pretty nervous about that, working as a full-time nurse. 
um, I was like, oh, yes, never say no, never say no, right. just keep pushing. And so we did that and then it really started to uh, accelerate from there. Okay. So it, to me, it sounds then you, you were working as a nurse, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's not just a job. That, that's, a, that's a profession, right? So, you know, a lot of people um, that I speak to and a lot of people that, uh, you know, I know are dreaming of becoming entrepreneurs, what, what they have is they have a, a very difficult time. Um, I call it cutting the umbilical cord, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're tapped into some sort of a career. You've made an investment in time and money to become educated, to get whatever certification it is uh, to enter that career. And you're getting this magical bi-weekly or monthly paycheck that always comes in and generally always gets adjusted up every single year. Yeah. So to leave that comfort zone is very difficult but it sounds to me like you had a transition period absolutely i am not a huge risk taker so i like the comfort of having that you know secure income in my back pocket so i did both for a really long time i didn't have kids so i was able to work my schedule with my seniority in a way that i could manage both and i would work you know monday tuesday wednesday thursday night shifts and then be off on the weekend to do my career, my job, and ner- or do weddings, and um, I just hustled hard for all those years until I felt comfortable enough that I could make the transition. What really pushed that was having my kids. So when I went on mat leave, um, I was still obviously running the business, and it just kept the business was doubling every single year. Okay, um, that's the progress I saw each year it would double and by the time I had my first daughter I was wasn't really in a position to go back full-time I did for the 600 hours that I needed to to you know (laughs) go on to another mat leave Um, and then uh, my daughters I had very close together so I was pregnant by the time I was supposed to go back and Mm. I decided okay this is not realistic to run a company nurse have two infants yeah um so i decided to drop to casual which was me holding on to that umbilical cord as tight as i could right because you're right we worked really hard to become nurses and it's a large investment and i didn't want to let go of that but then eventually i just couldn't continue on with the um, continuing education and the skills i was working in a high needs uh pediatric work so I didn't feel like I was able to give as a nurse and I had to make a decision financially sky's the limit when you're your own on, right. um, owner of a company as opposed to being you know limited to what you can make as a nurse so right. I chose to go for it okay so then the trigger point I think if I'm correct me if I'm wrong the trigger point to make the jump full-time was when you decided um, whether it is you did a calculation or it was just a kind of a gut instinct that, okay, I'm, I'm going to have enough business here and I've seen a pattern of accumulating business over time that I, I can replace my full-time salary or at least close. Yeah, um, probably within like three years, I was already replacing okay. my salary. The thing about weddings is that it's seasonal. So that was my place of insecurity is and also is anyone going to book me next year great this year i have 60 weddings that was in the beginning what if i only get 20 next year right so that was a little bit of an insecurity for me and not having any (coughs) marketing background or um, anything like that you know it was really a risk (laughs) okay okay and it you know nursing is not nine to five it's kind of like shift work Mm -hmm. it's all over the place right but let's call it the nine to five um the nine to five world what was the biggest trend what was the biggest um difference that you noticed between you know the nine to five world and entrepreneurship i'll give you mine Mm -hmm. um my my big difference was okay when i was on bay street working there it's like i had the this Okay, you get in at 8.30, you leave at 5.30, and the clients are put onto your desk, and the work is predefined, right? So the work could have, could have been you know, stressful, it could have been difficult, but it's predefined. Someone is dictating what I do, right? Then when I left that world, it's like, okay, no one's setting my schedule. Now I have to start 
figuring out what do I do and am I wasting time on things that are not going to make me money? Yeah, right. For sure. And and that was the biggest transition. That was the biggest uh, sticking point for me in the transition from nine to five over to self-employment. What was yours? Mine, I think, is actually setting limits for myself. So nine, when I would go into my nine to five, mm-hmm. I would be there for those hours. I would write my notes, close the door and leave and work is behind you for that day or till the next time you're in. I find that with entrepreneurship, there's always just a pile of a large pile of things that you need to do. So I think it's um, being a workaholic, I would call myself, you know, you have to set limits for yourself. And I found that a little bit challenging. That was the biggest difference for me. But I also enjoyed the freedom of being able to work on it when I wanted to or felt like I had the time to. So Okay. So how, how many weddings do you currently do a year now? Well, yeah, I mean, now, has yeah. it changed? I mean, um, okay, well, we can't count obviously 2020, 2021, but if I was just, you know, ignoring that and saying, how many did we have on the books for 2020? And then is our projection for 2022 and 23 back on target, we would do anywhere between 120 and 160 weddings. Holy shit. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot. And it's all in one, it's all in like three months or four months. How, like how no. Do- okay. So be, in the beginning, we would never get weddings in the winter. It just wasn't, um, one, it wasn't as popular. Two, there wasn't a lot of um, venues that would allow for that. But the industry has really evolved to being like an all-in-one, all-inclusive type environment for the popular um, venues where they have an indoor chapel and they have all of these things that, you know, allow for weddings to happen all year round. Um, In the Kitchener-Waterloo area, I would say that we are very well known. And if, you know, chances are, even if they don't hire us, they're going to inquire with us. Yeah. So I would say we do about anywhere from 10 to 15 weddings in the off-season months. Okay. And then the rest is focused more on the... So 90% stuff. in the in wedding season. Mm-hmm. And what, what are you doing exactly for those weddings? Um, okay, so we are mostly doing floral, but then decor as well. So we are full service, which means we will do all your setup, installation, um, come back at the end of the night and do the removal as well. We do all the personal flowers and what we're known for is our large installation. So you have like a 10 foot by 10 foot arbor. We're going to turn it into a floral arbor, all floral top to bottom. Well, and then you guys have to go back at like three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, one, and at least it's one, but we don't one? get out till three. Yeah. yeah. And, and just <laughs> take, and take, all take all the flowers away. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's what you mean by removal. Yeah. So okay. we have a big team, like we have a team that does that. I, okay. um, originally, obviously like the beginning of any business, it was my yourself, husband yeah. and I just basically slugging it all. Yeah. We do the setup, we do the teardown. Yeah. Sometimes you have to flip in between because couples will like to use what their investment was at the ceremony and then take it all down and reuse it at the reception, which um, can be a little bit challenging. <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. So now I try to have an install team. I call it like leaving one person behind, we leave a man down to do the flip like mm-hmm. one, two, depending on how large it is. And then I have a teardown team that comes back at night. So, okay. and so everybody's freelance. Yeah, so and that's you're coordinating amongst, you're yeah. coordinating amongst freelancers who aren't under your direct supervision. But that I find that's common in your industry though. It is. In the wedding industry, it's a lot of like freelance, uh, even like the photographers and, and videographers, there's a lot of freelances, uh, freelance work yeah. in that industry. I guess it's just a, um, a part of the industry. I think right? it's the seasonal thing of it and the mad rush in the summer right so we have a core team they still freelance because there are weeks on end that we may not do anything right then we could have five in one weekend so they still freelance and they have their own companies and and then they sub we subcontract them but i have about a core four we call it and that's people who are with us pretty much the whole year and then summer we could be working with at least 15 or 20 other freelancers at a time. So do you do all the design for these these weddings as well yourself? Yeah, I do all the design. Okay. It's not so common that I do the in-studio work anymore. Right. So um, I have my- That's my, assembly of the- Yeah, like making the flowers. Mostly okay. my team will do that. I do all the designing, consulting, and then handle all the paperwork and emails. 
I'm on site for sure for every single wedding to make sure everything's executed properly and doing install there. Um, but the actual in-studio week, like Tuesday to Friday, it's not usually me because I'm busy doing other things. So uh, at the beginning of this, I mean, what did you know about designing flowers? Nothing. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Nothing. Good for you. Nothing. That's why I think I started with the planning and the decor. Um, I found decor to be a bit of a dying industry because okay. venues are becoming so um, beautiful. They have chairs, they, they're gorgeous, and people will say, I don't really need much, just flowers. Right. So I was seeing that my decor sales were going down, and in the beginning I didn't do flowers. So I was like, how can I be in this floral industry? I don't even know the slightest thing about flowers. So what did I do? I subcontracted a floral designer. She had her own company. I just went in, walked in the door. I said, I like what you do. I have a big decor company, but I need someone to do flowers. How about we work together? And it started from there, and now she's my main freelancer. She okay. left her business. Okay. So, so cool. I, and I've seen this story 150,000 times with entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, once again, it's anecdotal, but, you know, they start off doing something um, and, one of the key things that I, I've noticed, and I think it's the same with you, you said yes to everything mm -hmm. at the beginning. Yeah, I did. Right? So you say yes to everything, right? Until you start finding out what it is that actually works for you, mm -hmm. right? And that's how usually the evolution of an entrepreneur uh, goes. And in, a, in a, a business like your business, right, where it's not a business, let's say like our business, where our business, you need a specific certification and you need specific license in order to complete the work, in order to be able to give the advice, so on and so forth. Um, there's a lot of a lot more flexibility, I would imagine. Yeah. Right. And I've seen that in other with other entrepreneurs. They start manufacturing a particular product, but then they find that, all right, of the three particular products that we're manufacturing, it's this one product that's really taking off, and then they gravitate towards that one. And it looks like that's essentially what happened to you. You started off in the decor. But then the industry adapted by just simply making the decor automatic, mm -hmm. right? And then you got into something completely new that you had no, really no idea other than, you know, you knew what you liked mm -hmm. and you knew what people liked, mm -hmm. right? You adapted and you went in, into that. And I'm, I'm seeing that. I know we see that all the time with, uh, with our clients who are successful. And I think that's the differentiating factor between the entrepreneur who's the lifelong entrepreneur and the entrepreneur who is the wannabe entrepreneur where as soon as the the going gets tough they go back to the nine to five and once again there's nothing wrong with that most of the population should be in the nine to five because if everybody's out there trying to do their own thing nothing will ever get done in society right but i think that's the attitude that i've seen uh work in the past and probably your attitude was like that in the beginning now, when you were a nurse, were you entrepreneurial at work or were you just by the book and did what you had to do? Yeah, just by the book and did what, did what I had you had to, to do. do pretty but much. did you did yeah. you like it or no? Yeah, I loved it. I, I mean, I was always in a leadership role. I was usually in the charge nurse role or I would take on students. And mm -hmm. so I do like, I like that aspect of it. And I always try to excel at my job for sure. I take extra courses and do all those types of things. But um Really, it was a very stressful, the, the field of nursing I was in, medically fragile children, was just so stressful. Mm -hmm. And if I am being frank, they're not, we're not compensated. Nurses right. are not compensated monetarily for what they do. I was doing both things and one night a, a child's alarm went off and I went in and I figured it would just be usual, the usual. Yeah. I've just suctioned them, they'd be fine. Yeah. It was not fine. Okay. There was blood coming out of their oh, trach. It was like fine. a tragedy. And it, I saved her. She was fine. We took her to the hospital. She, and I just looked at my paycheck that day and I thought, if something happened to that kid, I could never forgive myself. Right. This is too much. Right. Like, And I just, that was really kind of the tipping point also for me where it was like, uh, I just, I cannot do this anymore where it, I'm working so hard in such a high stress environment for the money that nurses are really bringing home at the end of the day it's right. not so ideal <laughs> the compensation factor that the in comparison to the stress factor yeah it, it makes sense i mean like i i've had i've been in in and out of hot not for myself but for uh, family members i've been in and out of hospitals 
a lot lately and um, just seeing what the nurses like they're, they're literally taking care of some oftentimes adults as though they're babies changing diapers yes. this, that and the other yeah. it's crazy right yeah um and you know we have a couple uh nurses as clients and they're not it look they're paid well but it's not spectacular yeah and it's not sky's money. the limit and if you yeah have there's a limitation to what yourself. you can do yeah and this is not a knock on nursing because no. we're screwed without nurses Absolutely. right um and i don't have enough knowledge about the medical industry to determine whether they're being compensated fairly or not but for you the compensation wasn't wasn't there no not for the level of of stress that that was involved in the more intensive care side of things you know um and i just it felt limiting a little bit limiting you know i wanted i wanted more for my family and i and i was i really thought the business would be a side gig a side hustle right right to make a little bit of extra money on the side provide for the family um one other thing that i hear from people a lot um and this is with uh, people that are entrepreneurial and um, also like a lot of like the real estate investors that we deal with um one of the the common themes that i'm hearing is you know sort of living life on uh, you know on your own time right so you're gonna say on your terms you're gonna say tom no you're gonna say tom's yeah tom's like (laughs) yeah yeah, living that life like basically making your own your own schedule right and i guess like with uh tom and nick their thing is you know living life on your own terms right and when you are an employee and once again there's no problem you can become rich being an employee you know we've seen it multiple times Mm -hmm. teachers you know uh, we have multiple i know multiple teachers that you know listen they, they make they don't make that much money they make good money but not that much and you can become rich right but the idea is you must show up to work and you must clock in and for a person like uh, John Paul and myself, you know, we, I can speak for us because we've known each other for so long. I'm not clocking in for anybody. No. If they, if this business shut down tomorrow, yeah, I would open a new one. Yeah. The day after, I'm not yeah. clocking in for anybody. Yeah. I, and I realized that my first day on the job, uh, when I was, you know, first day on the on, uh, back in my twenties, I, I was like, no, 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 you cannot control me. <laughs> like I'm not controllable. I am, yeah. yeah. I don't so, like to be told what to do. So if the business shut down tomorrow, you lost all your clients. Uh, I figure something you, else out. You would you go get a job or would you try and figure out a new a new side hustle? A new side hustle. All right, it's good. Yeah, I'm yeah, happy absolutely. to hear that. And that's that's the entrepreneurial <clears throat> spirit, and that's sort of why we wanted you on this this podcast because the podcast is really about business and entrepreneurship, um, and it's not necessarily about getting rich but it's about you know the story of how people started a business made a transition from nine to five out into their business and accessed success with that business Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. and i'm seeing a lot in in you just in the first couple minutes of speaking with you i'm seeing a lot of similarities with other entrepreneurs where um your transition seems to have been longer between uh the working world and the the entrepreneurship world because ours was pretty quick so like, you want to start a business yeah next day we registered and we were gone quit done yeah right? that's the caution in me not being a risk taker i'm i'm not i'm just not i and don't I like try and push right. on this yes absolutely you. right he, he does try to push me and i'm like no i'm good yeah <laughs> but you still took a you still took a risk yes right you still i mean you always had you always have nursing in the back in your back pocket and we always have accounting yeah in our back pocket so we could always have gone back to work if we wanted to right so i think subconsciously maybe you're like in the back of your mind you're like look i have a i have a plan b here i need to always go back to work Mm -hmm. right but um the tenacity of the ability to to not panic i think when the business starts changing and the ability to adapt i think is what probably led to your ability to sustain and, and to persevere, right? Mm-hmm. Because from you're already what you're telling me, what you started with and where you're at now is just completely different. Absolutely. And like, 10 years from now, yeah. it might be completely different as well, again. Yeah. yeah. Right? Jordy, well, how many people do you know that um, are unhappy in their current jobs and trying to figure out 
a side hustle. Yeah, too many. Uh, right? Yeah. So definitely. Yeah, yeah that, that's a I lot mean, of people. That's yeah. that's what this and is I about. And I love what I do. It is stressful all in its own way. I mean, dealing with brides and you know you're you have so many bosses. You say I don't want to clock in. I'm still kind of clocking right. in. Oh yeah, our, right? client, our clients are our bosses. Yeah, our clients yeah. are Some our bosses, do, right? Somewhat. I don't feel like your boss. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but but the thing is, see, this is the thing I I've, I always tell people when they ask me, you know, when you have a job, you have one client, and if you piss that client off, you're in, you're in deep shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you have a business, you have multiple clients. Yeah. Right, so you still don't want to piss any individual clients off, especially nowadays where you know they can just go on online and they can slander you, and it's very difficult to get rid of that yes. bad press. Yeah. Right, so a small business can be destroyed by bad Google reviews. Mm-hmm. Right, but ultimately, though, if you learn how to speak to people and you learn how to properly fire your clients, or um, at least in our in our position, I think we're at the point where we can tell at the onset a client that we don't want mm-hmm. because we can tell that their personality is not going to work with yeah, ours. Are, are you are right? you in that position Absolutely. now? So yeah. you're you're like, uh, you know what? It's, I don't I don't think it's going to work. You should probably go somewhere else. Yes, right. I I've never I never thought I would ever do that. Yeah. But in the last I would say three years, I have had to say, on if if that is what you're looking for, I can appreciate it but I don't think we're the right fit for you. Good That's for you. how I say it. We're right. not the right fit for you. And I recommend um, several other designers and here they are. That's that. See you later. Yeah. No, but we really want you. Nope, no, but no. we're not the right fit for you. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's and, funny when you try and get rid of them. Then they really want to stay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've mostly found that I've done that in clients that I've had to compromise my design uh, quality to meet a certain price point that is their expectation right and i'm like yeah it does that's not what it costs like to do something like that this way my way the reason you called me it, it that's not what it costs well so-and-so said they'll do it for this go to so-and-so yeah <laughs> you Good. know right yeah yeah there's price sticking point and then there's uh, you know with us we've we've turned away huge billings mm-hmm. massive massive billings that dwarf any sort of client that we have on our roster and the reason is you know at the beginning we said yes to everything because we're desperate right we just started a business now um it's you know it's been multiple clients that potential clients that have come to us and demanded we work with them but we're like listen this is not what we do and the the fees would be fantastic but i'm gonna have to take uh uh a staff or myself or John Paul off what we're doing on a day-to-day basis to really pander to to this and it's just not going to work out yeah right so from a, a reasonability standpoint the, the client is unreasonable not necessarily because they don't want to pay us they're ready and willing to write the check but our skill set is not there mm-hmm. let's say no it took us a long time to uh to find, to, I mean, t- eleven years in, you know, and we we fought a lot about it because I'm I'm one way, he's one way. He's very intellectual, and, and the mundane things bore him. Um, where for me, it's I want an assembly line that stuff can just flow through. Uh, for you, I guess you're you're battling with yourself with all this. Um, like, do you look at growing? Do you look at not growing? Yeah. Um, do you look at bringing on a partner? How does all that work with you? Yeah, you're Do you right. bounce that off, uh, off off Joe, your husband? Yeah, most of my, <clears throat> my business decisions, I will bounce off him. Sometimes, Not your accountant? Sometimes I would uh. bounce them off <laughs> you. Yes, that's true. Um, but my biggest struggle is, yes, how big do I grow? Mm-hmm. Um, because in our industry, staffing is very challenging. And what do I do? Do I branch into something where I can have... Um, secured employees right Mm -hmm. where we're selling flowers Mm -hmm. every day um just to have those secured employees so that you know i can grow because i know no matter how big i get or no matter how many weddings i do i always have this team that's here because they need work so it's a fine line for us because with the freelancers 
you know, you don't know if you book eight weddings on a weekend, are you going to be able to get enough freelancers for that weekend? Right. Mm, Should I take that wedding? Should I not take the wedding? So that's a bit um, challenging. And then the overhead on running a day-to-day shop, a day-to-day floral shop, and then versus the profit and also are where we're located out in Kitchener Waterloo it's not the same as being in Toronto right in Toronto the there's so so much population it's easy to just right. turn flowers over every day but for us I've dabbled in the retail market a little bit through COVID you know trying to pivot and it just didn't work no it's not it's not my clientele um, and it's just not the right um, space where we're where we are where we're located we're in a small little town called New Dundee which is just outside there's no foot traffic so it's Zero, just yeah. not the right spot right yeah I I, I secretly want uh, to own a flower shop I've heard this from other people that we know together that yeah you think you're pushing oh, flowers I've always wanted a flower shop it's one of it's on my list you, you a can, cafe there's money there's money a cafe a dive bar and a flower shop yeah. I love flowers so. okay yeah. well maybe we can we can collaborate on that in Burlington or something we yeah can talk. by all means because it's not gonna happen yeah. in no uh, I think I think an e-com business for flowers and and having it if you did designs for us you know every two weeks there, I would be buying money. them for our office Listen, there, there's money in things that people have no idea. Everybody, um, not everybody, but a lot of people, especially in, in the Toronto area, it's full of immigrants, right? Coming from myself, coming from an immigrant family, you know, the first thing that immigrants do, and I think it's, you know, if you ask, grab 100 immigrant families, the first thing that they do is they emphasize education for their mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. right? Um, for whatever reason, because education, at least it's a, it's a conservative route, but it almost guarantees uh, a decent lifestyle, right? So everybody grows up thinking, I got to become um, a lawyer, a doctor, some sort of a profession, right? Getting into some sort of a profession because, hey, look, they earn a lot of money, right? But on the flip side, you know, it, you look around anywhere, these tiles, you know, good tile setting company mm-hmm. can Trade. Be, yeah a good tile setting company that is reliable and does good work you can become a multimillionaire rather quickly by doing that you know somebody had to manufacture this this couch right somebody's got to set up these computers somebody's got to sell them right there's there's so much money to be made in mm-hmm. so many different avenues if you have an open mind and you look around and i think that um, with non profession type of businesses the 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 ability to adapt and to spot opportunities is the skill set yes, it's not it's because we're not cutting into people's brains here so it doesn't take 15 years of training to you know uh, to do many things mm-hmm. and to sell many products right it takes maybe five years of experience in the industry to understand the industry mm-hmm. and then find your niche in that industry, right? Yeah. Where you to get gotta, clients, you, how to get clients. Yeah, yeah you, and you just gotta cut the five years. You gotta make the cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that first five years is brutal, but yeah. you, you've, yeah. gotta get, you've gotta get through it, and a lot of people don't. And I think that if you look at the statistics, I don't have them in front of me, but probably most small businesses fail in the first five years, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can look that up later, but I, it wouldn't be unreasonable if, to me if that's the conclusion, that a lot of people start off in a business and they can't get through that first five years. Whether it's financing, they don't have the cash flow, they lose clients and they get nervous, whatever it is. It's that first five years, at least for us, it was very challenging. Like we didn't, I would agree with the five yeah. year. That's probably when I left nursing. Right. Right at the five or six year mark because mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, you this can is do it. actually going to happen. Right. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to go for it. Okay. And yeah, there was a lot of... Oh gosh, hours. I've worked 20 hours sometimes. Right. 108 hour work weeks. Wow. Week, one week. Yeah, yeah, no, that's brutal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you gotta do what you gotta do yeah. to Make prove. And I had a lot to prove, I think, because there was that one company that like took a leap of faith with me and said, come on to our vendor list. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I felt like I had a lot to prove. I needed right. to be able to deliver what they were able to offer. And it was a lot of clients. To, yeah. to date, that's their, I call them my client, although they never hire me for anything. Right. Um, they're my number one client. Right. 
For uh, at sure. least your number one referral source, right? Or Absolutely. Center of influence. If I didn't do any other marketing, yeah. other than this, it would be fine. I have branch, branched out because I want to reach a different clientele. Where do you where do you market? Um, well, I'm the Pearl preferred vendor, and that's yep. really big because their sales people are you're constantly managing relationships with them and keeping your name in the front of their mind, and that's one major source. And then outside of that, it's uh, Wedlux. Okay. Through Wedlux, I wouldn't say it's actually the the print or the social media or anything. It's the relationship with the other vendors. Our, our industry's marketing is truly and honestly relationships and right. referrals. It really, any ad you do or, and yeah. then inst- newly for, for me is Instagram. Okay. Instagram is massive. I, I, I yeah, saw, it's it's visual, funny. right? I, well, yeah. It, well, it's free too. That is it, free. It, it, the, the, hard, the hard part about Instagram, even this podcast, I mean... This is this has become my full time job is is managing the marketing side of the business. It, it's I'm an accountant. <laughs> yeah, right? no, it's a it's a major so, thing. Like I've had to I've hired out for it before with the pandemic. We had to let that go, so I've had to take on, and I've noticed drastically. Like when I'm not posting, yeah. my inquiries are down, and when right. I'm posting, they're they're coming from all angles. Like awesome. they're coming from Instagram, the, the website. It's you know everywhere. So I I, I did I mean. I've, I've always followed you on Instagram um, for how little I'm on it. Um, but I, I, I remember making the comment to Andrea, like you, when you did start, like compared to where you are now, like your design has, is through the roof. What you're doing now is like, is amazing. It's beautiful. So, and that's coming from a dude. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that it's testament to, you don't get 150, 170 weddings a year by simply just cost-cutting everybody else, yeah. right? JP and I have known each other for a very long time, and yeah. he knows yeah. my goal was always wedlocks, wedlocks, wedlocks. It was like a dream that I thought would never happen. Right. And that's a public, so people it's that a, don't know, that's a publication, a big publication um, in the wedding industry. A luxury, industry. I would say, okay. a luxury wedding publication. I'm going to try and have them on uh, the podcast. Oh, you should. Yeah. No, I talked to them like two weeks ago. Angela? Uh, yeah, Angela, uh, Bruce. Uh, yeah, Bruce. Oh, yeah. yeah, they'd be great. They'd yeah. be great for this. We'll see. But yeah. yeah, it was a massive thing for me. I, I wanted to get there. And I mean, I think the, I mean, I've been in issues, every issue for the past four years. And I think one issue we had 23 pages. I oh, was like, wow. oh, okay, great. so this is great. But it's, yeah. it's really more about the relationships that you create throughout that. Um, and the, pl- the relationships with planners because I don't plan and they bring you the clients mm-hmm. that will you know pay for that kind of work right right yeah not everyone can afford no you know what's what's the what's the price range on a on a like a, a good compared to like a really really good so we have a four thousand dollar minimum right and if I'm doing that kind of a weekend that means I'm having like six weddings okay you know on that on a day and it's out in my area they're all local we're pinging around right. setting everything up if i'm going to be contracted for a luxury wedding they're ranged 20 plus i okay. would say that's all floral all design. floral yeah wow that's, that's yeah. insane that's crazy yeah. right <laughs> yeah. i think my wedding budget was maybe like one <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I was at his wedding, and so were you. We yeah. both know that was not his budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I didn't know what it was, Andrew. Yeah, you probably me. will never know. Your eyes you will never know. Up, yeah, right? yeah no. no. I mean, look, th- th- that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, getting into uh, kind of go off on a tangent, but you want to make money. And you don't want to, you know, do ten years of school or become some sort of a professional get into babies, mm-hmm. something to do with babies, mm-hmm. something to do with dogs and mm-hmm. cats, mm-hmm. something to do with weddings, mm-hmm. and something to do with deaths. Yeah. Those are the areas that I find it's just, you know, it's human emotion. Yes. It, they're all emotion-driven purchases. 100%. So, That's what my so, husband said to me in the beginning of the pandemic when I was going off the rails. He's calling yeah. me, what's your plan? What are you yeah. going to do? Trying to set me up for success. And he did, which was great. So we, I went with his plan, but then was freaking out every day because right. weddings aren't happening. My husband said, people want to be happy. People yes. like joy. Yes. As soon as they can, they're going to get married and they're going to have parties. Yes. You need to calm down. And the people are not going to give up joy. This is going yeah. to happen. And I'm like, okay. And he was right. The minute a restriction lifted, 
I would start doing intimate weddings. Yeah. And the intimate weddings have been some of my favorites right. okay. because we do service to clients. We do have our luxury clients and then we have our everyday clients that, right. you know, who have a $5,000 budget. We service their wedding, but now they're taking that entire $5,000 and putting it into a ceremony. Right. It's likely what they were picturing right. for their wedding originally, but there's no way it was ever going to look like that. And so now they're, they're having this luxury wedding and I'm mostly on site for those because you have to take them down right away, like they can't right. stay. They're crying, they're so happy and they're so joyful just to be able to do it and have this luxury wedding they never would have. It's been really refreshing in that's a way. Cool. So yeah. that's that's because space size has has come down, but the amount of flowers has stayed, stayed the same. The same. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So now, yeah, now it would be ten times more beautiful. Yeah. And some some couples have said, "Look, I'm not having the wedding I thought I was going to have in terms of the people who could be there. So I'm going to make it my dream wedding. Right. I want to add this and that." And I'm like, "Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> well, now we're at this much. No, just that's fine. We've already talked about right. it." Yeah. So they're finding joy in other ways. Right? Awesome. Cool. Okay. I have a question. Growing up, hmm? right? So I know myself and John Paul, we grew up, I think your dad was in, um, he was he was in construction essentially. Carpet. I installed Carpets, carpet yeah, with him. Yeah. Yeah. And my father, you know, he was in construction, real estate, insurance, travel agency, and then finally settled on accounting, right? So we grew up sort of with an entrepreneurial influence uh, how about you yeah my parents were in the hospitality industry um, my dad was always a hustler and run ran different restaurants and businesses opened his own uh, mr fingers little thing mm. in burlington cool. mall i didn't even know this yeah no. yeah my dad was always coming up with trying to come up with inventions and a real hustler hard worker right. and my mom worked with my dad wherever he whatever he was doing yeah. okay so he was an entrepreneur then. yeah okay so you grew up understanding entrepreneurship understand okay. yeah he was, so that, he that was helps. a food distributor at one point yeah, yeah. He, like just where whatever you know he was running restaurants and distributing right. the food to the restaurants at the same time just right. to yeah yeah because i find that um a lot of people coming from a, a nine to five nine to five parents then going into nine to five they have this dream of becoming entrepreneurs and you know we spoke about this in our first podcast like they start putting together spreadsheets they start um, putting together a plan, they might hire a consultant, but they never pull the trigger. And Did I you think do that, that, yeah. Spreadsheet and a plan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you know the answer. Yeah, it was not. all up here. <laughs> yeah. Right? I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. We're going to, yeah, you're going to do it. And I think it's that, uh, that attitude, the ability to sort of, and when I talk about entrepreneurship, I'm not talking about sort of self-employed contractors, right? That's a, that's different, mm -hmm. right? That's, you know, you have a skill and you don't want to have a boss. So you take six month contract here or three month contract there um you know that's very it's kind of like a, a weird twilight zone between employment and entrepreneurship i'm talking about entrepreneurs starting a company right mm -hmm. and um i'm find, finding that a lot of entrepreneurs at least the ones that we deal with they just shoot from the you know it's from the gut mm -hmm. right it's more so from the gut than some sort of an elaborate plan yeah right 100 percent. okay yeah yeah I find the crazier you are the more successful you are. Yeah, I'm far more the entrepreneur. <laughs> well, at in least our from company. the starting point. Yeah. yeah. Like I have designers, I can't even do what they do. To right. be honest, like yeah. my staff, I can't make the same things they can make. And I had some insecurities about that, but I'm like, no, wait, this is my company. This is my vision. I'm yeah. running it and I've hired the people that I need to to make it happen. So yeah. I don't need to be insecure about that because without me, there is no this. So it really has been an, a hurdle that I've had to overcome as an entrepreneur, not being the person who could create the most luxurious, perfect bouquet. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely have the right team to do it. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What are some of the, the challenges that you're facing uh, in your business like currently and like over the, the past getting to where you are? It's mostly staffing. It's just staff. Well, yeah. you know what? It, that's in staffing is yeah. the, the problem for everywhere. Yeah. Two things yeah. is like having enough staff to meet the demands that we have, because um, we can only do so much, um, and then finding the people. 
good staff that will yeah. be reliable, obviously. Mm -hmm. That's everybody's problem, every business owner's problem. <clears throat> but the artistic level there also has to be there now. You know, you know, this person can only make these things. And so you need a versatile team who can execute the high level of design. And I might have a handful of those people and the rest are, okay, you can do the buckets for this part, like, you know, right. and it's, they all want to make the biggest installation, but they don't have the skill set. So it's a fine line having that. So how do you, how do you progress them? Do you ever look at it? Cause they're, I guess they're freelance. They're not employees. So you don't, you do, but you don't have a vested interest in them. Yeah. So for us, it's, I mean, like. I don't have the time, I don't have the desire anymore to sit down and actually train my staff. One of them I did for pretty much like three months. I was at the desk and it was like watching them type, tell me out loud what you're thinking as you're going through. And I trained. I don't have that ability yeah. anymore. Do, do you have the time or willingness to do that? What we're trying out, and it's, new, it's a new trial that we're going to be doing, okay. we would rather hire someone that you no has a creative eye but has less experience okay. because they're going to do it your way they haven't right. learned like in design it's not really like one plus one is two right mm -hmm. like it's not like that you have to be have the eye for it were you implying that what we do is one plus one is two <laughs> no i mean there's an answer yours is just like yeah. this is a fact Right? right like there's a fact to it and ours is not it's either you can you can be creative or you can't you can okay. make this look good or you can't like you know so i would rather take someone with less experience pair them with a senior designer and have them work together as a team for a summer and then hopefully some point in that summer this junior designer is getting to be more independent and become that jld look we call it right. that we want because cool. once you put someone in there that's been doing it for 20 years yeah, they've got their own way. They're not going to change what they're doing. Right. And loosen it up. Make it. It's. Hey, we're in the same boat. We hire we hire brand new people who know nothing now and train in-house. Yeah, we house. make the investment in training them. Yeah. Yeah. We right. don't train. We, our staff does. Then we we train the, them differently. And I'm sure you run this risk as well. Yeah. My fear with doing that sometimes when you have these younger, hardworking, go-getter type employees so many so many of my freelancers have just gone like well that was a great learning experience see, see ya yeah. and then yeah. up pops tina's that's tulips. the hard, <laughs> that's the hard part that's the hard part is yeah. you got to keep them motivated you got to pay them enough compensated you know yes. it, it's they gotta you gotta build them a beautiful office so they can mm -hmm. sit in and want to come there mm -hmm. it's you got to give there's them, a lot of factors you got to right? give them I reason agree. not to leave right. so but then there, there's also uh what at least in our business, what I found is that there's certain types of um, certain types of work. Let's call it like the more advanced, specialized work, where hiring someone, at least a contractor, um, specifically for that type of work, because they're a specialist and you need that 20, 25 years of experience um, in order to do it properly. Like we cannot experiment on a very complicated reorg, let's say. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot have an experiment. I cannot say, throw something extremely complicated onto um, someone who has five years experience. I can't throw it onto their desk and say, you know, try to figure it out. Because th that's not the game that the yeah. client is paying you for, right? So I would imagine it may also be something like that in your industry as well. It is, like there's certain designers or designs we can put our junior designers on. And then like if we're going into a ballroom and doing a ceiling installation, no, we need our senior designers going in and I have to be there. Um, logistics is probably my stronger point in figuring out, well, how am I gonna suspend a floral beam from the mm -hmm. ceiling? Hmm. Right. You know, and then, yeah, you have to subcontract. Am I gonna actually hang it? I'm not. No. I'm going to hire a professional right. to rig it. And uh, then Joe. I'll make Joe's, it. Joe's not Yeah, right. that's not going to happen. <laughs> Poor Joe. Does Joe use hammers or no? Does he hammers? Yeah. Uh, Fab, Fab's not a hammer guy. Probably not. <laughs> okay. no. uh, it's my toolkit. All right. All right. All right. All right. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, what I want to cover right now, actually, is the transition on how you were marketing your business from the beginning until now if you could kind of like walk us through i know we touched a little bit on marketing and referrals and um the connection you made with the larger company uh, but when you first started and you were literally running it as a side gig how did you market 
um, Facebook and Kijiji. Okay. And word of mouth. And word of mouth. Okay. Yeah. So and then bridal shows, okay. which do not exist anymore. The, the bridal the, shows. Yeah. yeah. They're not really a thing. Like even pre-pandemic. Oh, they started starting to off. die down. They really started to die down. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe Wedlux was probably, and the big one in the uh, Toronto Convention Center, were probably the last two standing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they would have little boutique pop-ups, but overall, it used to be a massive industry for marketing. And again, probably all the marketing you needed to do. Um, but yeah, I started off really with uh, Kijiji and Facebook, which it, it wasn't... It was not. It was no Instagram. Right, right, right. Right? Kijiji's classified ads, Yeah, it's not that visual um, component. And also, it's a different clientele, right? Right. right. So that's not where... For us, it it really, truly is um, relationships, referrals. People would always say that to me in the beginning. It's referrals. It's referrals. And I'd be like, how do you get referrals if you don't have any clients? (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, I used to dream about the time that I would get... 50 clients for a season and I thought that's never gonna happen like it's just never gonna happen it does happen and you just have to keep working hard and treat every client like it's your first and last so that you know like I have one bride I have done nine nine of her friend's weddings I thought you were gonna say nine weddings no (laughs) I have done three for one client oh wow yeah oh wow (laughs) That's hardcore. That's real. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> keeping it. Keeping I the just lights can't. On. When I see her email, I'm like, again, oh, no, <laughs> three times. Wow. But um, nine friends from the same group of people, and they're all the bridesmaids of the past wedding, and it's oh, okay. that's amazing. It's kind of cool. Like, yeah. so it really is referrals. Um, and right now, Instagram is. Instagram is is the the. Yeah. I guess because it's a visual business, right? Like it's yes. Yeah, your Instagram. I have a booking form, right? So when you come to our website, you have to fill it out and then it populates to a spreadsheet. So then Mm -hmm. it tells me like who, where, and how did you find us basically. And it's Instagram, Wedlux, and the venue. Okay. Every time. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's it's referral and then um, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram's major. I'm not a big social media person, Mm -hmm. so it's hard. I have to like really make myself do it, and I'll go missing for like weeks and weeks on end. And then I'm like, okay, so I get back into it, and I'll watch my followers just grow by hundreds in days. And I'm like, I really need to stay consistent with this. Right, it's massive. What's what's your what's your is it called handle? I see. I don't even know. My Instagram name. Is it, Nelson, is it called He's Handle? Laughing. Is it yeah. Handle? Yeah. Uh, Jody Lee Designs. It's Jody, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. And, but Lee, you spell Lee. L-E-I-G-H. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is that my real Is that the best way to, for people to find you? or? Um, yeah, I mean, to see our work, absolutely. And then from there, there's a link to our website, and we have tons of galleries on our website. But yeah. So that's Jody, J O D I. L E I G H. Designs.com. All right. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, anything else? I think we've covered what we wanted to cover. All right. And that's a wrap. I hope you uh, got something out of that. We certainly did. Um, Love to have her back on to talk more about her business and the evolution of the hospitality industry, let's say, post-COVID-19. And as always, uh, if you want any more information, you can contact us at info at cmllp.com, and we will see you next time.